Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. It's Julie Henricus, Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am delighted to talk to Amina Akhtar today. Amina is a former fashion writer and editor. Her satirical first novel, Hashtag Fashion Victim, drew rave reviews and acclaim and was covered in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Martha Stewart Living, Entertainment Weekly, Fashionista, Book Riot, Crime Reads, and more. Akhtar's new book, Kismet, which comes out July 1st, takes on the world of wellness and all the crystals that go with it. This own voices novel is set in Sedona, Arizona, where nature is just as much a character as anyone else. Akhtar has worked at Vogue, Elle, The New York Times, and New York Magazine, where she was the founding editor of the women's blog, The Cut. She's written for numerous publications, including Yahoo Style, Fashionista, Exo Jane, Refinery29, Billboard, and more. She currently lives not too far from the Sedona Vortexes. Kismet is her second novel. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, I am so delighted to talk to you today uh, about writing and about your writing journey and, you know, about your publishing journey as well, which is very exciting. But let's start with the writing journey and start as I always do in this podcast. When you decided you wanted to write a novel, now you had a, a big writing career <laughs> um, and I want to talk about that, but novel writing is different or might have some similarities. When did you decide, I want to write a novel? What was that like? So I always, in my head, had journalism writers in one pile and novel and authors in a different pile. And I just never saw myself as an, as an author. Um, that was always something that somebody rich and white can do and they don't have to work. You know what I mean? That was always my, my impression growing up. Yeah. And... Um, I think having immigrant parents, you you don't always get the luxury of going to the arts. <laughs> you know, you have to have a job and you have to have a career and you have to make yeah. money. And that's very important. Mm -hmm. So um, I had gone into journalism for that reason. So I could write while making a living. And around 2008 or 2009, I was at a fashion week and <laughs> one of the many, and I was with uh, my friends who write for the Bug Girls, Heather and Jessica, and I said, God, you know what would be really funny is if we wrote a, I wrote a book about a serial killer in the fashion world, and nobody took her seriously because fashion girls are supposed to be dumb, and it would just be hilarious, and they're like, yeah, and then I did absolutely nothing with it, <laughs> I just put that idea away and went back to work <laughs> and yeah. And then in 2014, I finally started writing. Um, and I, some people have heard this story before. Uh, my mom had died and I'd gotten laid off because the lifestyle media industry is tanking. And I had just hit this point where everything had gone wrong, <laughs> you know, and I'm sitting in my apartment, don't want to leave it. 
I only go outside to walk the, the dogs. I was like, why don't I just start writing that book? Like, why not? What else am I doing right now? Nothing. So I mm-hmm. said, I said, okay, well, how, how do I, how do I write a book? I don't even know. So I just sort of sat down and winged it just would like write a little, like a thousand words a day, nothing huge. And it started to become a story. Um, and that was the first time I was like, oh my God, I'm writing a book. <laughs> Holy cow. I didn't know I could do this. So it was really thrilling um, to be able to do it, to be honest. Well, so from 2008 to 2014, uh, you know, was it the same idea, the serial yeah. killer? Um, yeah. Uh, fashion? Fashion for fashion. Yeah. That's where fashion victim yeah. came from. <laughs> and I always joke it was my send off to the fashion world being like, bye bye. <laughs> you know, that, um, you know, that the mystery <laughs> of that book isn't who did it because you know who does it from pretty much the very beginning. Um, you know, the main character. It, it is uh, narrating the book and she's a psychopath and she just wants to murder anyone who gets in her way of her ambition and also just makes her life more difficult, you know? And so it's also just a really dark satire of the fashion world because, you know, I, I'm not one of those people who's going to write a very happy book about fashion. I think fashion is beautiful, but it had the industry itself is you know, pretty rotten to the core. And I really wanted to make sure I had that in there. Um, and then I just wanted some gratuitous violence with Manila Blahniks. I just thought it would be funny. <laughs> so <laughs> why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, so you started writing a thousand words a day. This, this character or this, and this story had been with you for a few years. How did you did you have to unlearn some things from your oh, journalism God, yeah. writing it's, as it's, you were building this story? Yeah. Was it? It's an yeah. entirely different style of writing. Um, you know, when you're doing online, you sometimes have to do five stories a day, five, six, and fashion, during fashion week, it's more. And you don't have time to sit with it. Um, and in a way, it was really great to have this training because I'm not very precious over my words. You know, there might be a line or two here that I really like, but at the yeah. same time, I'm like, no, let's make it better and keep going because I'm really used to, you have 20 minutes, get these 500 words up now. And so I write in these spurts now, but as I've been going on this journey, I've, I'm taking more time. I'm going slower, you know, just so that I can really pay attention to the words um, because that deadline isn't, isn't over my head anymore. <laughs> so it's, it, it, it's really right. interesting to right. me how much more descriptive, and I think I'm terrible at descriptions, but like how much more descriptive my, my fiction is versus my, you know, the nonfiction stuff I did. So it's, it's definitely a challenge. I like it, but it's a challenge. And it's thousands of more words oh, yeah. in order to tell a story that you were used to boiling down to 500. Now you've got, you know, 75,000 words to tell the story. My current work in progress is 95,000 and I'm trying to cut it down. <laughs> it's like, wow. How did I write 95,000 words? Wow. Um, but if in 2014 you had told me you're going to now write books, I would have been like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I'll try it for fun, but no. Um, and the way I approach it now is I don't really 
stress about it. You know, I have to really think about what I'm writing and let it sit in my head for a while. Whereas I'm used to just banging something out. So it's, it's been a refreshing change to be honest. Now, have you taken, uh, any classes or do you have a writing group or, or, you know, what has helped you shape your novel writing craft over the past few years? I did not take any classes. I had the last creative writing class I took, I was maybe 21 mm-hmm. <laughs> at NYU and I hated the class. It was, just, it was just a dreadful class at the time. <laughs> I'm sure there's amazing ones, but it was not a good one. And so I hated it. I hated it. I was like, oh, I'm so glad I went into journalism. But it's been, um, I did get a writing group together and I, I say I did, I did not, I did none of the work to get it together. I just went along with it. Um, Kelly Garrett, who, um, has put together crime writers of color and who's amazing. And we all love her. Yes. She messaged me one day and was like, do you want to be in my writing group? And I said, yeah. What do I have to do? <laughs> like, are we going to rip each other apart every week? Because that I cannot do. Yeah. And, <laughs> So it was her, Alex Segura, and Elizabeth Little, and myself. And first, and I only really knew Kelly, and I knew Alex tangentially. I'd never spoken to Liz before. Um, and now it's like, they're my best friends. You know, yeah. I talk to them every day. I probably talk to them more than I talk to almost anybody else. Um, and it's been really interesting and refreshing to have people read my writing as I'm doing it. Because... Mm-hmm. I don't all, and, and also to be with people who have a different method, you know, like Alex and Kelly are really great at outlines and plotting. Whereas I'll just wake up and be like, I think I'm going to kill that character today. <laughs> you know? And I just kind of <laughs> wing it as far as I can. <laughs> I try to outline it. I'm so, I'm just, I'm terrible at it, you know, but it's so nice to see different methods and mm-hmm. all of it kind of coming together in our group because we all are so different. Um, and but to get that feedback as you're writing is, I think, a really valuable thing. Yes. Um, you know, they've read my work before even my agent gets it. And, you know, they get, they tell me what's working, what's not working for them. And it's definitely helped my writing tenfold. Like, I'm so grateful for them. Well, a good writing group can make all the difference in the world. A bad writing group can be. Oh, uh, God, yeah. Yeah. So when you talked about ripping well, things sort of apart. like a good agent. Yeah. A good agent is it makes makes things happen. A bad agent is worse than having none. Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah, it's quite, it's, it's, you learn a lot on this journey. Um, but as I said, you'd had a, a very yeah. full career before you started writing books uh, and what <laughs> was that like? Because that's not a, a easy career. I mean, I almost, um, I, no, I almost laughed when you said you went into journalism to make money because that's also a tough gig for, I for know. that and fashion and everything else. So, you know, it, it is, but in the nineties, and this is the nineties, I'm going to age myself here. So I went to, I graduated, University 1999. So it's still the 90s. And at the time, so I moved, I went to NYU. So I, here I am, girl from El Paso, Texas, you know, just took off in New York. <laughs> I was like, uh-uh, I'm, I'm out of Texas. I'm out. See ya. So I, here I am. And I was like, I'm going to go into um, investigative journalism. I'm going to be like Christiana Mampour. I'm going to work at the New York Times. This was what 18-year-old me thought. 
And then I, they gave us a tour of the old New York Times building. And there was a clock, like huge clocks, every five feet. And I just looked at it and I was like, magazines <laughs> might be better. <laughs> because those clocks are going to give me yeah. the worst yeah. anxiety. Like, no. And it wasn't that I lived and breathed fashion. Um, I liked it. You know, I had my sassy magazines and all that. But it wasn't like I ever considered it a a career and I just sort of fell into it I was interning at this lifestyle publication called Black Book back in the day and I managed to get a fact-checking job at Vogue right after graduation from college and then I did I fact-checked for literally a month and then an assistant position opened and I just kind of snuck in there um and it wasn't one of those things where it's like, this is on my goal list. It was like, oh, wow, this is happening. Yeah. All right, let's go with it. Yeah. <laughs> let's yeah. see what happens, <laughs> you know? Uh, and then I I couldn't get out of fashion. And it wasn't that I wanted to get out, but like I wanted to maybe try other areas and stuff and, 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 and see which one really spoke to me. But, you know, you, you kind of got pigeonholed mm-hmm. a lot back then, you know, your resume is a fashion resume. You can work in fashion magazines. So I was just staying with it. And I really liked, this is when digital was just starting to kick off. You know, um, I really wanted to be on the di- digital side because to me that made so much more sense mm-hmm. as to the future. Um, and so I started, where was it? New York Times had, I mean, I was literally hand coding pages at the New York Times. Um, and people think that this is so long ago. It was yeah. like 2005, yeah. 2006. Hand coding. I used to break the site all the time. <laughs> I broke it every time I've ever worked on because they make me hand code. And I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and then New York Magazine called and they're like, just come in for a meeting. I was like, and I, everything was sort of an accident. Like I showed up and I happened to have a concussion at the time. I was walking down the street after dinner one day in the East Village and some crazy person clocked me upside the head. And I had a full concussion. So I'm like really, I had vertigo. I was nause- nauseated. And I had to meet Adam Moss. And Adam Moss at the time, he, he was he was a firecracker. He shoots these questions at you. And the entire time, I'm like, don't throw up on this man. <laughs> like, whatever you do, don't puke. You're going to be fine. Just get through it. So afterwards, I was like, oh, wow, I really blew that. You know, I go to my friend's office who works there. And I was like, I'm sorry. I know you recommended me. I totally blew that. I like, I can barely see straight right now. But they loved me. <laughs> it was like, oh all right, I guess, sure. And, you know, so I was hired. And at the time they didn't, it was, yeah, it was 2006. They didn't have much fashion coverage. So the cut started as a fashion blog. Um, And I mean, I love the direction it's gone, but at the time they really specifically did not want a women's publication. It was drilled into me. It can't be a women's magazine. Mm-hmm. It has to be about fashion only. So I was like, all right, you want to do fashion? Let's do fashion. And so became one of the, the top fashion destinations um, over the course of wow. the four years I was there. So it was a complete overhaul. And it was amazing, and it was exhausting, and you couldn't pay me to work that much again yeah. in my life, yeah. <laughs> ever. But I'm glad I did it. And then after that, I kind of bounced around, and I ended up at L. I ended up at Vogue for some freelance stuff. But, you know, it was a, as I was getting more senior – 
you know, and become, I was like the, the person to hire for your website. I was becoming, um, yeah. I was pricing myself out basically, you know, like why hire me when you could hire a college graduate who's 22 and wants like 20,000 a year, or you have to pay me six figures, you know? So it started to be like, oh, I couldn't get hired. Um, and it was one of those moments where it's like, well, nobody told me that's how this was going to go. In the fashion world, once you hit your mid-30s, you have two options. One is to go into consulting of some sort, you know, for brands or whatever. And the other is to marry a banker. <laughs> and that's pretty much what everyone does. <laughs> and I was just sitting there going, I don't, what am I supposed to do? Like, I'm not marrying a banker. Not not because I don't like, but like, yeah. you know, what do I do? <laughs> and so then I think I'm going to write this book. And then I was sitting there going, I don't want to have to deal with this rent anymore. And my dad was by himself. So we upped and moved to Arizona to be with my dad. Hence, I'm now out near Sedona. Um, and it's been like, yeah. <laughs> not just writing, but just like head to toe life change. Yeah. Because I was, you know, I was in New York for 20 years. And now it's like, oh, I have to drive. Everywhere. Well, well what I fun. also find so fascinating about your <laughs> career fair. and your timing is uh, in, you know, magazines and in lifestyle uh, publications and digital, how much has changed and continues to change. And we're still, they're still figuring stuff out in the past, so you much. know, I mean, 20 years. I feel like, you know, from 1999, to, yes, absolutely. But I feel like a lot of websites companies still haven't learned how to monetize them. Yeah. And so you see this cycle happen over and over where somebody will invest or a venture capital fund will come in and buy websites. And then they do a rush of hiring and they hire like the coolest names and you're like, oh, this is going to be great. And then about eight months later, they lay everybody off. It's yeah. like clockwork. I've seen it so many times. So in a way, yeah, digital's changed, but also it hasn't because they were the people behind them haven't figured out anything. Right. They've learned nothing right. <laughs> about how to do right. this. So yeah. I almost feel like things are stuck at about 2013 in terms of where digital is right now. Yeah, I I agree. I, it's a the whole world is a little bit stuck in 2013. We haven't yeah. moved into this. Well, because things just went really dark really fast <laughs> yeah. to everybody. And now it's like, how do we get, how do we climb out of that? Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. I think that the way we view websites has to change mm -hmm. and it has to be something that people can make a living doing because otherwise you end up just having the very wealthy you know, who don't need the money doing these jobs. And it's like, well, that's not exactly fair. And you're not getting everyone's point of view on things. That's right. Especially in fashion. And I think that's a huge issue right now. Well, that's true in all of the arts. I mean, if we, the, the more we have these uh, oh, for sure. opportunities for people who can't make a living to work 60 hours a week, <laughs> um, the, the, more the, uh, the more we're closing off the opportunities for other yeah. people who want, can't work that many hours or actually yeah. oh, need to it's make a living. Like you, you have to intern in New York yeah. or like when I started, you needed one internship yeah. and then you could get a job. And as I was starting to hire people, and I'm shocked that they were having three or four years, years of internships that were not paid. Yeah. And I'm just like, how? Wow. 
how are kids supposed to, are young adults supposed to get anywhere, you know? And so I'm, you know, I was definitely really frustrated with the industry at that point, just even on that, not even going into the racism and the sizeism and all of that, that you have to deal with just, you know, ensuring you have a job (laughs) was such a stressful thing. Um, that publishing book publishing is like heaven in comparison to for me <laughs> because it's just been so chill and <laughs> so like oh yeah let's let's do that cool yeah. you know and I think that's crazy but you know coming from this other world where everything is a house of cards that can fall apart in a second it was like yeah that's awesome yeah cool yeah no I can I can relax about <laughs> it you know um, yeah, I used to work in theater, so it's a, a very similar house of cards. <laughs> um, uh, although fashion, yeah. and it's all very based on personality. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah, and yeah. Ar- and and luck. Fashion and- is, I, I mean, I love it. I, I love fashion. Yeah, I feel like fashion and theater have such an overlap mm-hmm. because the big personalities rule it, mm-hmm. and they're not always very kind behind the scenes. Yes. And it was so, it's so funny coming up because, and, and, I, and I love the direction things have gone with unions and people having better workspaces because I didn't have that. Right. <laughs> I had none of that. I had, you know, and in Fashion Victim, I skewer it a bit because, you know, I've got this woman who's thrown this boss who throws shoes at your head. That can be, and then that actually happens. And then there's a focus on, you know, oh, she's a size eight now. Now we got to get her thinner, yeah. you know, because, there was, you know, there were, there used to be, and I heard this rumor, that the Cosmo offices back in the day used to have scales in the bathrooms because you have to be, they wanted the, the employees to look like the models, you know, and some of us really didn't look like the models. Yeah. <laughs> and they made sure we knew we didn't belong, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Well, so now you're in the publishing <laughs> world, which isn't... It has its own issues and, and, you know, challenges, but, uh, is, as you said, it's, it's different. And every day I'm so grateful for the fact that I get to write these crazy, funny books, or at least they make me laugh. I hope they make others laugh and people pay me for it. Like, how the heck did I manage to do this? I don't even know, but it's the coolest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) You talked so, about your. I'm pretty. I'm pretty gung ho about this book publishing world. Um, well, you talked about your process a little bit in comparing it to Alex's and Kelly's, uh, in that you're a pantser or, or what that looks like. But how do you? How do you? I'm a pantser. I'm. I'm trying to be a, a plotter. I'm just. I can't do it. You know. Like so, just meant I had to plot, and I will tell you, this book. I never thought I would finish it. It took me two to three years. Wow. I had probably five different entire versions and different points of view, different characters. Uh, the only thing that's the same in each one were the characters and that it was based here uh, in, in Arizona and there was wellness, but it, some of them just went, some versions went off the deep end. And that the recent, the last version, thankfully, uh, the one that got published is one where I said you know what I'm just gonna make this the book I want to read and so I did that Mm -hmm. by thinking about what is it about this place that I like because it's beautiful it's absolutely beautiful out here um but one of the main things out here that I love are the animals um this is like living 
on a wildlife channel, you know? <laughs> we have the ravens who I've actually made their own character. We've got javelinas outside, which are these weird wild pigs. We've got coyotes all over the place and bobcats and mountain lions and bears. And you're just kind of like, yeah, that's that's what it is out here. You know, that, that those are my neighbors. Those are who I see more than I see people. So I really wanted to include that. So once I had that realization that, and a lot of it was stop holding myself back, get out of your head, write about what you're seeing when you walk outside your door. Mm-hmm. I, once I started doing that, I finally figured out this book. And it, it so the fashion victim, I just sort of vomited out. You know? yeah. <laughs> it took, honestly, three years of, of writing and writing and thinking this is a mess and, oh, it was a fluke. What was I thinking? And now and then I, I finished it, I said, oh, hey, it's kind of good. <laughs> that was worth it. The next book was also one that I vomit out, <laughs> you know? So every book is different and it's, it's a learning curve, you know, that they're not all going to be the same process and you have to adapt to it and and roll with it. Now is what, how would you, you know, how would you name Kismet? Is it mystery? Is it suspense? Is it, you know, mixture? What, what, how would you categorize it? It's definitely suspense, thriller. I would say it's suspense, thriller, and it has an element of the supernatural because we've got the ravens basically acting like a Greek chorus mm-hmm. almost. Um, because this area is, it's all vibes. Yeah. <laughs> this whole place is like you go to the vortex. Well, what is the vortex? It's energy, right? That's how people describe it. It's energy, man. <laughs> okay. And everywhere you go, oh, I actually met this. So I have a character, these characters named Brittany and Star, and they are, um, they're twins. And Brittany is, is a shaman. And she's based off this character, this woman I met named Brittany, who is a shaman. And I'm just sitting there going, Brittany the shaman? What? <laughs> like, what? I just, it's not what I ever experienced. So you just meet this, the strangest but not in a bad way, just, just different mm-hmm. people here, you know, who are very into, you know, healing and psychics and, and seances. And, oh, my God, the amount of mediums here is ridiculous. But at the same time, you're meeting these people who are making a buck. Mm-hmm. You know, like Sedona has become all tourists. Uh, a lot of the people who live there are, are moving out because Airbnbs have taken over. So you don't have that sense of community anymore. You have party houses. Yeah. And even if you just try to drive through town, you you can't get very far, you know, because there's just traffic everywhere and there's trash all over the, you know, the trails. And I get it. You know, you got to make money from tourists, but there comes a point where it's not necessarily the most pleasant place to live. So I live about 20 miles outside of that on a mountain with a well <laughs> really out there and it's like it's much different from Sedona and I don't go into Sedona very often at this point because it's not the most pleasant experience anymore it is if you're at like the fancy spa resort and you're getting a vacation great but in terms of needing to go to Whole Foods which is out that way you know like that's so much effort yeah. <laughs> to deal with the traffic and the because you don't expect it out here. You don't right. expect to have this influx of people. 
um, you know, there, there was one day where we were driving through and I can't remember why we were driving through and we're on like state route 89 a, which is a highway, you know, basically a highway. And people are out just walking around barefoot in swimsuits. Like it's a boardwalk. And I was like, people get in your cars. Like, <laughs> we're trying to move. What are you doing? So I have this love hate relationship with Sedona. Yeah. I love the land and I love the animals and I love I love just being able to breathe out here. I don't love what it's being turned into. Yeah. And I think, oh, and like, you know, like my new neighbor next door sold their house in Sedona to come live out here by us because it was just unlivable for them. And, and I'm hearing from so many more people about it. So hopefully people will see that that's kind of what I'm railing against um, while also diving into how strange the wellness world can be yeah. and how much the wellness world obviously there's there's moments of insane humor where the main character is she's a pakistani girl you know pakistani american raised in new york but she had a very sheltered upbringing and i kept trying to think like i wanted her to get suckered in by a guru right by a wellness coach it's like well what kind of person's going to get suckered in and i said well, it would have been me straight off the, the plane in New York, you know, in 95 yeah. and not knowing anything, not having those yeah. people skills and not knowing what was happening. But that was 1995. How do you find that person now with the internet and social media? You know, we're all so connected. So I had to, I, I had to make this character so beat down by her aunt. And it was, and it's not a... You know, I, I, it's kind of thrilling to be able to write own voices and make the characters terrible because just the aunt, it's not a religious thing. It's not a cultural thing. She's just a jackass. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I like the freedom to be able to write characters who are just jackasses because that's who they are. That was something that I was like, okay, I'm either going to get slammed for this or people will get it. I yeah. don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Um, hopefully they get it. And I even made like, Ronnie even at some point says, God, I really like she hates how much her aunt has made her a cliche, you know, like fleeing from the oppressive family. Like, <laughs> uh, like that's so cliched. So she gets kind of taken in by this woman who is really nice to her and wants her to be more assertive and more. But as things go, you start and there's happens to be murders happening in, in Sedona of these healers who had bad reputations of being scammers and her guru starts to get a little, I would say it's believing you're on hype, you know, where she thinks she's really healing and she's important and she wants to basically be a cult leader is what she's, you know, running for a politician, one of the two, you know, and she's, it's almost like the same as these people who are going from wellness into the Q world, you know, yeah. like they just start to go off the deep end. And at the same time, I, I wanted to touch up on how much the white wellness world steals from other cultures while not celebrating those cultures. Mm -hmm. And so being South Asian, I had so much to choose from. So I really wanted to focus on, on that. You know, and there are so many other cultures, obviously, that have been ripped off. And obviously, you know, even especially the indigenous cultures in Arizona. But that wasn't my story to tell. So I wanted to tell it based on this Pakistani woman and how like everywhere she goes, they love Rumi 
But if you mention Rumi's Muslim, they panic, you know? <laughs> so, and I, that's really one of the things that comes into play where they're like, he was a Muslim? And it's like, oh my God, Betty, did you know that? You know, and you're just like, yes, guys, yes. And, oh, Ronnie, I hope you're one of the good kinds of Muslims. And she's just like, oh my God, just kill me. <laughs> like, so there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that uh, well-meaning whiteness that, it doesn't come off well because those are all things that get said to me so much that it's and not just in, in Arizona but like everywhere yeah. where somebody's like oh I love I loved India I really loved the colonial times didn't you and I'm like no <laughs> no our families were on different sides man yeah. <laughs> what is wrong with you so I wanted to include that and that sense of like are y'all stupid? What's happening? <laughs> so I don't know. Hopefully people will find that funny, you know, because I think it's funny. Well, you got a wonderful, um, a, a wonderful outlook. You know, you use your, your many lenses and come up with, 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 you're making me laugh with your story. So I'm looking forward to reading the book, but. Um, well, I feel like people are more like, are more open to things if it makes them yeah. laugh. Yeah. You know, so if I want to talk about racism and fashion, I have to make people laugh about yeah. it. Um, it. It's I think it's um, that's my approach. I also think it's really funny to have insane violence mixed with funny things. It, it just it's funny, you know. <laughs> so, but I think that if you are, I think people can easily shut down if it's done in a way that makes them feel bad, and I don't. Like, I don't care about making people feel bad. That's not me. I just want us to highlight East, the ridiculousness in it. But I think that this is something that people are we're obviously all dealing with because they're making those stupid laws in Florida about not hurting people's feelings. And I'm like, well, I don't care about your feelings. But if I want my point to get across, for me personally, I find that when I do it with humor, it, it's, it, it sinks in a bit better. Um, I don't know if that works for everybody, but that's just what's been working for me. And your two novels so far have both been in the crime fiction genre. Was what what brought you there? Was it just the best way you could tell your stories? Mm-hmm. Were you always a crime fiction reader? I mean, um, I, I sort of get fashion victim actually as being a way to sort of work through some uh, issues. But uh, you know, what? Why crime fiction? I like killing people. I really do. I just I have this. I enjoy it. I, 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 I enjoy the murder. Like I've not, I've never been a fan of one genre of another. I will read anything, you know, as long as it's fiction, I have a tendency to not be great with nonfiction books, but I, I'll read romance, I'll read sci-fi, I'll read vampires, I'll read, you name it, I'm going to read it. Um, but what I found was made sense for me writing was to write about scary people. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, and I always say it kind of brushes up on, against horror as well because I, my dad used to make me watch horror movies when I was a toddler. And <laughs> I love scary things. And I thought, well, what is scarier than people? Like nothing. People, I think, are the scariest. Yeah. I think my uh, my next book after Kismet starts to rub up against horror a, a bit because we're talking about a thriller of the, this woman who's being attacked and and almost thrown in front of subway tracks and these weird things are happening. Is she crazy or is there a supernatural element that's happening to mm-hmm. her? And so that's what the next book is for. 
but I loved the idea of, and I never knew necessarily about genres before I got into the industry. Like I didn't know about, oh, you have to fit into this genre mold. And then I didn't know what cozies were. I didn't know the different levels of thrillers and different subgenres. I, I knew none of this. I was just like, I'm going to write my books. You yeah. know? And I think that's, like everyone always tells me that I, I defy genre. Well, I just didn't know what they were, to be yeah. honest. I didn't know that you had to be a certain, you know, for me, it's like, I don't necessarily dive into domestic suspense because I don't know, I'm not married and I don't have children. So for me, it was like, what do I know? I know about fashion and I know about yeah. this crazy world out here. And these are the things that, that occur to me to write. Yeah. Um, I think that's what's so cool about the thriller and the mystery world. Everyone's is different. Everyone's got a different story to tell and a different way to tell it. And that's pretty cool to me. Very cool. What did you take or what advice would you give somebody uh, from your journalism writing to your fiction writing? Did you take anything you learned? Like you already said that you're not precious with words, which I actually think is a gift to fiction writers so that you, you, I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. Are there other things that you love it? Cause I'm like, Oh, I'll just rewrite it for you. And they're like, um, yes. So I, uh, the one craft book that had rocked my world was big magic by Liz Gilbert, yeah. because a lot of the stumbling blocks that I hit were in my head. Um, and it was, you know, her book is really about get out of your head and just write. Yep. It's like, okay. And once I like let go of things that were holding me back, whether it was, oh, what is so-and-so going to think about this? Or what am, what's my dad going to think about this? Because he reads all my books, <laughs> for better or for worse. Like once you get be- beyond that, then you can write the story you want to write. So I tell everybody, I'm like, pick up Big Magic yeah. and read it and, and, you know, take that message of, getting out of yourself and, and just doing this and writing for the sake of writing can make, it can change everything. And, and it's not just unnecessarily writing. If you want to get into photos, you want to get to arts, whatever it is, you just have to learn to silence your inner critic. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, we said like, I just kind of strangled her. <laughs> so there's a difference between thinking, you know, this, this chapter could be better and let me fix it. And there's a difference between that and that critic saying, oh, you can't do that. You suck. Right. <laughs> you know? and so you've got to get that voice to go away yeah. or, or just learn to ignore it so that you can get out of your own way. Um, and I feel like I, now that I've done that, I'm like, oh, let's think about book four and book five. Let's just keep going because now I feel like I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas before I was a little bit like we'll see what happens. I don't know. Um, so no, I would just suggest the, get out of your own way. If there's something you want to try, go try it. What's the harm? The worst case, it doesn't go anywhere. Maybe it leads you to do a different project or maybe you learn something you want to try something else. Right. And that's cool. Yeah. Sure. It. You know, I feel like a lot of women in their forties later are hitting this point of, well, what do I do next? Yeah. You know? And, it's like, you know what, go back to, go back to what made you excited about books or art or whatever when you were a teenager. Mm-hmm. What made you excited then? And go back to that because that to me was what I was doing. You know, I felt like living with my dad again. I'm learning to drive again. <laughs> Let's go all the way back. Let's go back to like 
what was I reading then? And, and, and what did I, what were my aspirations, you know? And like how seriously I took writing back then, you know? And let's do that again. Yeah. And, you know, let's make her happy. Let's focus and not anybody else. I don't care about making anyone else happy. Let's make her happy. Mm -hmm. And so that's really what I was doing. Um, it's not like my journey is kind of a little meandering and it's not for everyone, but I think that if you can learn to go with what makes you happy and what not to be Marie Kondo, but what sparks joy, go for it. And that's, that's how I know it's the right direction for me. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent advice. What's the worst piece of writing advice you ever got? Oh God. I had a boss who hated my writing. So I don't know if I remember the advice he gave me, but I remember always just feeling like I was a terrible writer because this person would really go over line by line of everything I had done wrong, you know? And you're just like, it was very demoralizing. Don't take one person's opinion, you know? Like your journey is your journey. Your books are your books. Don't let one person get in the way. I think the other thing is I had a different agent on this book on Kismet and she did not like going out the wellness world. And I was like, that's fair. We parted ways. I'd have an agent who who was like, Oh, you can go harder on that. (laughs) And I was like, thank you. Yeah. So it's, you have to find your people and your vision who, who understand your vision. Yes. And if you don't have the people who are supporting you, find them. That if it means switching agents, if it means finding different friends, if it means finding a whole new writing group, do it because you need the people to support you 100%. Right. Um, so I would say that. I, I don't necessarily remember any of the bad advice, although I probably should. I don't remember. Too, <laughs> too no, but I think I blocked it all out. I think. But this is great, you know, a great point, and also, uh, you know, underlining that get the people. Nobody cares about your writing career as much as you do. So make sure the people around you are supporting your yep. vision and your career, and not what they think your career should be, because they don't care as much. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you've yeah. met, and they're not, and they're not impacted as much. Right. Right. Um, and if you'd listen to your first agent, Kismet would not be out in the world, right? No, no, it wouldn't. And I probably wouldn't have been able to write the next one because, um, there's a lot, I, I sleepwalk, <laughs> one of my many works. Oh. And so sleepwalking, uh, factors into the ne- this next book that I'm doing. And, um, and it also touches on like the folklore of the the horror stories that I was told as a child you know about the gin and all this stuff um and I and my old age didn't want a sleepwalking book uh, I was like oh well <laughs> that was my big thing <laughs> like that was gonna be the big reveal I'm a sleepwalker you know so it, once I found somebody who was like yeah yeah write what you want to write like tell me about it later and I'm like okay cool that's great. yeah yeah that's great Let, you know like understands my process just lets me go wild let's tell me when to rein it in and when to you know keep going and that's that's been a blessing yeah well it's going to be fun for readers for sure to be following on this um you already hid on the importance of community i hope so with your writing group uh you know how else has community helped you uh you know your members of organizations and things what you know is it different Um, than honestly i love the writing world especially online 
I, I know, I know social media is terrible. I get it. I know, I know Facebook's the pit. I get it. But the way writers hold each other up and support mm-hmm. each other, it's like nothing I've ever seen in the fashion world. Yeah. Like I, it, it is, it's like mind blowing to me to see people and, and, and to have this in my own life who will support you, who will talk about you to the big publications and, you know, talk about your work and they don't even know you. And it's like, wow, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. You know? And I, I, I tell every new writer that I come across and like, gosh, the, sorry, the writing community is amazing. Like you just have, you find your people, but it's not going to be hard to find. Yeah. Them. Yeah. So, and it makes all the difference. I love it. it does. It makes all the difference. I love you guys, writing girl. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does. So Kismet <laughs> comes out July 1st and you're you're editing the book after that. Um, yes. Trying to get it down yes. from 90. 90- Getting ready to turn it into my agent. <laughs> and then I have a, another idea that's already percolating back here that I had a thought out for. I said plot. I'm trying to be better at this and like plot out things. But man, I'm bad at that. Well, <laughs> I'll be, it'll be like one one point. Something, someone dies. <laughs> the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh well it's obviously working for you so it's, it's all a work in progress yeah yeah, yeah. well <laughs> yeah I hope I hope it is no yeah. I'm looking forward to it. and this has been a great conversation and I'm always inspired by people who had a career yeah. and then have moved into another career you know that writing your journey inspires me so um, I'm really happy to have been able to have this conversation Thank you. yeah I think, you know, I grew up with a father who at 43 decided to, with three kids and a you know, wife decided to go back to school yeah. and he went to medical school wow. in his forties. And so to me, it was always like, well, if you don't like what you're doing, change it, yeah. fix it, yeah. do something. So I think having, having his you know, life as an inspiration has really helped me because I, it's easier for me to walk away from something that doesn't work, you know, and like, that's, that's been a really cool thing to, to embrace (laughs) because it can be really hard to to let go and and walk away. Absolutely. Absolutely. So between that and having you watch horror shows at three years old, he's, he's lots of life lessons there, huh? He's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, he's my he's my uh, he's my targeted reader. He loves Kismet. He's read it twice. Wow, that's so <laughs> great! <laughs> yeah. Well, I, uh, I encourage people to follow you on Twitter because it's a it's a great place to um, find out more. And I'm sure your book launch will be fun. And thank you for a really great conversation today. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm I really. Really had a great time. Thank you. Me yeah. too. Well, thank you. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.